Thanks, Stevie. Thank you for, for that and leading this morning. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. I think it's been a couple of years since I've been here, um, and, uh, and it's good to, to be back. Um, when, when Kevin uh, called me, um, he said, uh, oh, you can speak about anything you want. You know, choose your own subject. So uh, I'm grateful to him uh, for that. And so the subject I'm going to speak on is, is actually one of my favorite subjects, and that is the subject of food. So, yes, I can tell some of you are very delighted. So... <laughs> Morning and evening, so this evening as well, we're going to be looking at, in part, the subject of, uh, of food. Um, I guess uh, you and I all have memories of a good meal. Uh, maybe that was one that you had recently, or, or one that's uh, a bit of a, of a distant memory. Um, when I think back to the memory of a good meal, it's not just, of course, about the food, is it? Uh, but it's about the company that we kept at that meal. It's about the conversations that we had at the meal. It's about what went on uh, at that meal. And one of my earliest uh, memories of a good, a good meal or good hospitality was when I was about uh, eight or ten, something like that. And we were on holiday in the south of France. We were staying with some French friends who had a, a kind of a holiday home. It was, it was a, a, a rambling old farmhouse, really, just outside uh, the city of, of Nice. And we stayed there uh, for a couple of weeks. And meals in France and all on the continent in general uh, tend to be a little different than they are here. In other words, they take a long time over their meals. And um, we would sit down probably at about six or maybe half past six in the evening, we would sit under a trellis outside those lovely balmy summer evenings uh, under a vine that was draped over the, the, the trellis and one course after another would kind of come out. Very simple courses. Things like tomatoes and olive... Big, I don't mean just silly small tomatoes, I mean big beefsteak tomatoes. That's what you call them, isn't it? Drizzled in olive oil and just a bit of sprinkling of basil fresh from the garden. Am I, are you beginning to water? Yeah. And um, we would sit down, and there would be conversation, and there would be talk, and, and then the next course would be a plate of aubergines or something like that that had been grilled over the, the grill outside. And, and, you know, the time just went... Well, I didn't, I didn't even like tomatoes. <laughs> I didn't even know what aubergines were. But I have this amazing memory of these meals that we shared with our friends in the south of France that went on well past nine o'clock, just sitting there and talking. And even as an eight-year-old boy, I wasn't, I wasn't bored by it. So that's one of my earliest memories. Another memory I have was when I was about 20 years old. And uh, it was just a, a very simple picnic in a field uh, in Yorkshire somewhere. And there was nothing special about the food. The food we just got from the local Morrison's supermarket, I think it was. Um, but it was a conversation. And I was with a girl. And yes. And, uh, and we were talking about the future. We were talking about our hopes. And we were talking about our dreams. And uh, I actually ended up marrying that girl. You'll be pleased. You know. Her name is Chella, for those of you who'd like to know. And, um, but that was, again, another memory of a very special meal, albeit a very simple uh, meal. 
And I think I've learned, I don't know about you, but I've learned more about people around a meal than I think in any other situation that I've been in. I don't think there's a better place to get to know somebody than around a meal or around the dinner table. But, but sadly, it seems, I think, that inviting people into our homes to share a meal is becoming less and less common. You know, we have those excuses, don't we? Oh, the house is too dirty. Or we, I can't cook. Or I'm just too busy. Our homes, perhaps, and I think this is probably the truth in general, our homes are becoming more and more private, which probably means that our lives are becoming more and more private. And you know what, folks? Private homes and private lives are are never going to lead to authentic Christian community. Private homes and private lives are never going to lead to authentic Christian community. And with that authentic Christian community, we're going to struggle to see authentic growth uh, within our churches. I think sharing food connects us in all sorts of unique ways. Uh, For some of us, like me in some ways, we got to know our spouse uh, over a meal for the first time around a table. Uh, Sharing a meal connects us with with our families, doesn't it? It connects us with each other. Eating around the table is where we as a family do uh, do the vast amount of conversation. It's where we communicate with each other around the meal in the evening. It's where we have all sorts of heated debates, especially theological ones, it seems. And sitting around a table can connect us uh, with strangers, can't it? How many times for you has a stranger become a friend over uh, a meal? Now, Luke's gospel is full of accounts of Jesus eating with people. It is full of them. Jesus loved to eat with people. And for Luke, the fact that Jesus loved to eat with people was something that clearly for him was worth recording. Luke chapter 5, we just read together, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at the home of Levi. Luke chapter 7, Jesus, and we're going to be looking at that tonight, Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. Luke chapter 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Luke chapter 10, Jesus eats in the home of Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at a meal. Luke chapter 14, Jesus at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to their meals rather than just their friends. Luke 19, Jesus invites himself to the home of Zacchaeus for a meal. Luke 22, we have the account of the Last Supper, where Jesus shares the Passover with his disciples. Luke 24, the risen Lord Jesus Christ has a meal with the two disciples in Emmaus, and then later eats fish with his disciples in Jerusalem. It kind of leads one commentator to conclude that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's leaving a meal. That's how much Jesus seemed to be eating with people in the gospels. And when it comes to being Christ-like, this is one thing I have no problem copying. That's for sure. And such was Jesus' reputation uh, for sitting down with people and for sharing a meal with them, for feasting, that actually the Pharisees give him this, uh, this, this title, don't they? Or they, they? They say that you are a glutton and that you are a drunkard. Such was the amount of times that Jesus sat and ate with people. 
There's no doubt, of course, that Jesus uh, enjoyed his food, but there is obviously much more to this uh, than simply that. Uh, My grandparents had a little picture in their home, and uh, it it read this. Jesus, and you've probably seen seen one for yourself, maybe even have it in your own home. Jesus is the head of this home. He is the silent listener to every conversation. He is the unseen guest at every meal. I've often wondered what it would be like to share a meal with Jesus. Perhaps it would have been like Mary's experience. You remember Mary uh, in the Bible. For much of the time, we would just be transfixed. Our gaze would just be transfixed upon him, and we would be completely taken in by the words that he had to say. Uh, But of course, we also read in the New Testament that some of the meal times with Jesus were actually uncomfortable occasions. For some of the examples in Luke's gospel, we see that Jesus often chooses a meal to say something uh, very uncomfortable. We see that at one meal that he had, he broke with uh, established religious convention of the day, and he didn't wash his hands before he ate. Terrible, we would say, especially in today's climate. People were... Uh, appalled that he would do such a thing. How dare he? Who does he think he is? And perhaps if we shared a meal with Jesus, we would have become a little bit uncomfortable. We would become a little bit uncomfortable, perhaps by some of the things that he said, or perhaps we would become a little bit uncomfortable by some of the people that he chose to eat with. Whatever our experiences, um, whatever our experience would be, we wouldn't come out the same. A meal with Jesus was so much more than just kind of satisfying our physical hunger. And that, of course, is what, a, is what a meal should be. So much more than just this simple refueling exercise. So here's a question. I wonder how you would complete the sentence, the Son of Man came. I wonder how you'd complete that sentence. Son of Man, of course, is the name that Jesus used to refer to Himself, Perhaps we would say, well, the Son of Man came uh, preaching, or the Son of Man came to die on a cross, or the Son of Man, you might say, came uh, to give us a, a good example. Well, actually, the Gospels complete that sentence in three different ways. Uh, the first two are found in Luke 19 and, and Mark chapter 10. Luke 19 verse 10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the first way it finishes the sentence. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says this, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, those first two uh, verses that we had in finishing that sentence, uh, the Son of Man came, clearly tell us why. They tell us why Jesus came. What was his purpose in coming. Well, his purpose was to give his life as a ransom and to seek and to save the lost. But then actually there's a third. There's a third way that that sentence is finished. And we find it in Luke chapter 7, uh, verse 34, where we're told, Jesus' own words, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And perhaps, you know, that's not the way that we would expect Jesus to finish that sentence. Uh, A guy called Tim Chester has written a book on 
on this subject called A Meal with Jesus, and I, and I recommend it to you. Tim Chester describes this third description as a statement of method. As a statement of method. In other words, the Son of Man came eating and drinking is telling us how Jesus came. How Jesus came. Does he come with an army of angels? Well, not the first time he came, certainly not. Does he come in a blaze of glory? Well, not the first time, no. Does he come on the clouds of heaven? No. No, he comes, Jesus says, eating and drinking. Now, the Jews of Jesus' day were really confused by these statements. They were angry. They were furious. Surely they thought the Son of Man or the Son of God will come to defeat God's enemies. He's going to seek out and he's going to elevate those who are good and those who are upright in this world. They, they certainly didn't expect him to come to seek and to save the lost. There's no way they expected him to come and seek and to save the detritus of society. But he had. Jesus said, I've come to call those who think they're Oh, sorry, I've come not to call those who think they're good and upright. I've come to call those who know they are no good and need to repent. You see, the Jewish leaders hated Jesus' mission statement. I have come to seek and to save the lost. It made them feel uncomfortable. But then, folks, to fulfill that kind of mission statement, you will need to get uncomfortable. There is no doubt about it. The Jewish leaders would have also said the Son of Man will come in glory and he will come in power. He's going to come like this triumphant conqueror. That's how he's going to spread his message. That's how he's going to make himself known. It would never have occurred to them that the Son of Man would come eating and drinking. Why do you think Luke makes such a big deal about Jesus' mealtime habits. Why does he make a big deal about those that Jesus ate with? You see, folks, this is because this is how Jesus came. This, we could say, is Jesus' mission strategy. If his mission statement was to seek and to save the lost, then his mission strategy was to spend time with people. It was to mix with people. And a really good way of spending time with people is over a meal. Long meals, meals that stretch into the evening. Tim Chester puts it again. Jesus did evangelism and he did discipleship around a table with some grilled fish, with a loaf of bread and with a jug of wine. You know, folks, while Luke does speak about Jesus teaching in the synagogue. Actually, Luke spends more time talking about Jesus around a dinner table, sharing a meal with people. I have a bookcase at home, uh, and it's absolutely loaded with uh, books on theology. I've inherited all sorts of uh, libraries from all sorts of retired ministers. I have a loft which is groaning under the weight of books that I've put up there one day, perhaps hoping to read. Many of those books concentrate on, on mission, they concentrate on church planting, they concentrate on evangelism, and I think many of them make church planting and church growth and evangelism actually uh, quite a complicated subject, a very specialised, we might say, activity. Reading those books makes me feel as if I need a, a PhD just to 
understand their strategies, just let alone uh, to implement them. How does Luke describe Jesus' mission strategy? The Son of Man came eating and drinking. It's beautifully simple. It is refreshingly simple. But it's not easy. It is not easy. Getting, go, being involved or going to involve people invading our space, it's going to, that's what it's going to involve, involve people invading our space. It's going to involve people making us feel uncomfortable. That's not going to be easy, folks. A few months ago, I was invited to a meal at a Masonic Lodge. Should I have gone? Before you answer that question, I wonder, would Jesus have gone? If we have a problem with the way that Freemasons do things today, it's nothing compared to the problem we would have had with the way that tax collectors did things back in Jesus' day. And yet Jesus ate with tax collectors. So I hope we'll see, just in the few minutes that we have left this morning and and this evening, that there's a lot more to these meals that Jesus had with people than perhaps we realized. Amongst other things, I think we'll see that these meals with Jesus provide a window. They help us to better understand his message of good news, his message of outrageous grace. And in the story that we read together in Luke chapter 5, we see that Levi, the tax collector, uh, becomes a Christian. Uh, And Levi wants his friends, the other tax collectors, to hear this incredible message. They need to hear this message. How am I going to get all these people together, thinks Levi, well, I'm going to throw a party. You notice how Levi gets the mission strategy. And he's only just become a Christian. We're running an Alpha course at the moment. And, folks, it's interesting to see that those who are doing most of the inviting are the new Christians. The ones who've recently become Christians, inviting their friends to the next Alpha course. So on this night, Levi's friends find out that something amazing has happened to Levi. Levi has changed. This isn't the Levi that they knew. And then Jesus surely tells them the reasons why Levi has changed. And this isn't like the other parties that Levi uh, used to throw. This isn't the party where people wake up uh, with a sore head. This is the kind of party where people wake up uh, with changed hearts. Something amazing was happening at Levi's house uh, that night. But of course, uh, like a lot of parties, uh, there are the party poopers. And Levi's party was no exception. And along come the Pharisees, along come the religious leaders of the day. And, and, and actually, it's important to see, they don't have a problem with the party. Um, they didn't come over to Levi's house to tell him to turn the music down. They knew what it was like to have a good feast. They enjoyed a good feast. No, their problem was the guest list. Their problem was the guest list. Why, they say to Jesus, why are you eating and drinking with tax collectors and with sinners? Now, of course, if you know anything about tax collectors in the Bible, you know that they were generally disliked. You know that they were 
uh, dishonest people. They cheated people out of their hard-earned money. But the other thing about tax collectors and why they were really hated by the Jews is because they worked for the enemy. And the enemy, of course, in this case was Rome. The Jewish people were looking forward to a day when God would come. They thought this is what Jesus was going to do. That God would come to establish his, his kingdom. And to do that, he would need to defeat the enemy. He would need to defeat Rome, who were the present occupiers of the kingdom. So the tax collectors weren't only cheats, uh, but they'd also sided with the enemy. And so the Pharisees, they weren't just petty criminals. They were God's enemies. That's how they saw them. They were God's enemies. And here was Jesus, the one who had claimed to be sent by God, the one who claimed to be God himself, sitting and drinking with the enemy. And the Jewish leaders hated him for it. You see, essentially, the Old Testament Jewish law said that to eat with those who were enemies of Israel, to eat with those who were enemies of God, to eat with those who lived an immoral lifestyle, those who'd been excluded for any reason, to eat with the unclean of society by association made you unclean. That's what the law said. For the religious Jew, doing lunch was kind of like doing theology. That was how important it was. To eat with the right kind of people made you clean and made you righteous. To eat with the wrong kind of people made you unclean and it made you unrighteous. What was Jesus thinking of? What was Jesus doing? Well, actually, Jesus was doing something new. Jesus was doing something wonderfully new. And to help us understand that, we need to go back a little bit into uh, chapter 5, into Luke chapter 5. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 12 to 15, we read there that, that Jesus does something extraordinary. Jesus, we are told, touches a leper. Now, normally, if you touched a, a, a leper under the Old Testament law, it would declare you as unclean. But incredibly, instead of Jesus becoming unclean by touching the leper, the leper becomes clean. The leper is, is healed. Now, we need to understand that by touching the leper, Jesus isn't rejecting the Old Testament law as the Jews accused him of. What he's actually doing, incredibly, is fulfilling it. He is fulfilling the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law says that we need to be clean. We need to be spiritually clean. We're called to be this holy people. But whatever we do to try to make ourselves holy and to try to make ourselves clean, it simply, we know, has no lasting effect. The Jewish sacrificial system shows us that very clearly. The animals needed to be sacrificed day after day after day after day. It needed to be a continual sacrifice. See, the only way that we can become the holy people that God wants us to be, the kind of people that God can have a true and genuine working relationship with is through Jesus. And it's through his blood. And it's through his sacrifice. The Old Testament law said if you touch anything unclean, you will become unclean yourself. But Jesus comes to do this new thing. He comes to fulfill the law. He comes, actually, more than that, he comes to complete the law to do 
for ourselves, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Folks, if you reach out and if you touch Jesus, if you truly surrender your life to him, you'll find out something amazing. You'll find out that his holiness is contagious. That's what you'll find. Contagious, by the way, being a good word today and not a bad word like it's been recently. If you reach out and surrender your life to Jesus and touch him, you will find that his holiness is contagious. You see, that's why eating and drinking were so important in Jesus' ministry. As Jesus ate with the tax collectors, as he ate with the sinners, he was saying in this beautiful, tangible way, I've come for such as you, even for my enemies. I am having fellowship with you around this meal so that you might be able to enjoy eternal fellowship with God. Tim Chester again, Jesus Excess of food and excess of grace are linked. I'll say that again. Jesus' excess of food and excess of grace are linked. In the ministry of Jesus, meals were enacted grace. And that's a bit heavy, I know, perhaps on a Sunday morning. But think about that for a while. In the ministry of Jesus, meals were enacted grace. And I've almost finished... (laughs) Uh, But, of course, the one thing is that you and I are not Jesus, (laughs) and uh, nor can we invite Jesus, as Levi did, uh, to come and talk to our friends around a meal table. What a wonderful thing that would be if we were able to do that. People don't become holy around my dinner table. Although, perhaps in one sense, they can become holy around my dinner table. It was Jesus' mission strategy... I wonder, should it not become our mission strategy as well? If I'm prepared to use my dinner table to point people to Jesus, to get to know them, to befriend them, to love them, to make the effort to find out why they might be hurting, if I use my dinner table to sow and to water, Jesus says, you can leave the rest to me. If I use my dinner table to sow and to water... You can leave the rest to me, says Jesus. I wonder if you've invite, tried inviting somebody to church recently. It's quite a difficult thing, isn't it? How many of the people that you've invited to church have actually come? Try inviting somebody to a meal, and you usually get a different answer. Um, one of the things that I've been doing in the couple of years that I've been in my new pastorate in, in Exwick in, in Exeter is just trying to get round to get to know the men in the church and outside of the church as well. Um, Inviting them to church does not work. Inviting them to breakfast, on the other hand, does. I have never had an invitation turned down when I've invited a guy out to breakfast. I I now have an office at the Imperial in Exeter, which is a, a, a restaurant there. I don't really, but it feels like I do. I spend so much time there, but people don't decline the invitation. And the problem is, folks, with having professionals in the church is that sometimes we expect them to do evangelism. We expect them to do the discipleship. We leave the strategy to them. Jesus' mission strategy was sharing a meal with others. 
That was his mission strategy. Is that not something that we can all do? Yes, we might have excuses, but is that not something that all of us do can do? Open our homes to each other and then to others. I think, folks, when we begin to do that and when we do that in a real and a new way, I think that will radically change our church and the way we do church. And if you don't believe me, then why don't you try it? Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for your example that you gave us. We want to thank you for the time that you took just to sit and eat and be with people. We thank you for the time that you took, Lord Jesus, to find out about people. We want to thank you for the people that you ate with. We want to thank you that there was nobody that you cast aside. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for that example, and we pray that in our lives you will help us. Lord, that you will help us to get to know each other better in the church. But more importantly, you will help us to get to know our neighbors better, our friends better, uh, those on the periphery of the church. Lord, in that simple act of having a meal together. Lord, give us courage and strength to do these things, we pray in your name. Amen.